So I'm going to open up uh, the, the um, New American Standard and kind of bounce back and forth between the NASB and uh, the New King James. So you were NIV, Christian Standard. You had King James. Uh, Brian, you have a different translation because it was word for word in the King James, New King James until the word, um, one of the second to the last word in the, of the verse that you read, unless you changed it for us. New American, New American Standard, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't have my New American Standard out. I was following along with the King James. And then ESV, yeah, new, you have a new, new Living Translation. You had New American Standard. New American Standard, and yeah, well, not not tonight you didn't, but uh, we'll be okay, I think, I hope. So get a running start here a little bit, because um, he's he's speaking parabolically. Right? He's he, he's he it, it, it's almost a weird uh, form form of his writing. I don't know, weird's not the right word. It's a different form of his writing in here. He, he kind of, if you've noticed that he does shift styles a little bit, have you guys notice that in reading through this? Um, and it, at times it's reading almost like Proverbs. At times it almost reads like a combination of Proverbs and, and the Psalms, more of a poetic writing. And at times it reads kind of a, kind of like a hybrid between a proverb and um, a parable. So he's giving these type of sayings. They're almost like riddles, but they're the, these type of sayings that he's, he's putting out here for us um, so that we might give greater thought to what he's saying. For instance, in verse 8, um, one who digs a pit may fall into it. And a serpent may bite one who breaks through a wall. We talked about this last week. That's, this is where I'm getting the running start, if you will. Um, and one who quarries stones may, may be hurt by them, and one who splits logs may be endangered by them. And so from there, he's, he'll take off into the idea of splitting wood, which most of us know something about, don't we? Um, that's why most of us ended up buying wood splitters. Um, <laughs> but they didn't have those back then. But uh, splitting wood and dealing with a serpent, which I, I find kind of interesting. Uh, but it's, it, he's writing it in what's called a chiastic form. It's not that evident in the English. It's very evident in the Hebrew. Um, so you know how when, if you read poetry if you read poetry, right? And, and the words will be written in stanzas, short verses or short half sentences. And it'll be like, you know, six words or so. And then, you know, you have all these, it's a very narrow column. You have that in the scripture as well in some of the more poetic passages. That's kind of what he, he is doing here uh, with this. But the, the, the thing that's interesting about this is, okay, you, you dig a pit, um, you might fall into it. Is that true? Well, it is. It is true, especially if you get up early in the morning and you can't see. You don't have your glasses. You forget about the pit you dug the night before, and you walk outside, and there it is, and you fall in, right? 
Um, or if you're breaking through a wall, now I, I'm almost thinking remodeling, right? But we talked about this last week because the wall could be something else, right, Cindy? Because you're the one who brought that up, I believe. The wall could be a metaphor for breaking through into something in our life. And which is interesting as I thought about this because um, when we break through something, the wall being a metaphor, when we break through a barrier in our life, when we make a greater advance uh, toward being conformed in the image of Jesus, often what happens next? You get some form of temptation. You have some form of trial. You have some form of of difficulty. In other words, as you break through as you break through that barrier in your Christian life, once you break through, there's a snake waiting for you, for you on the other side. The snake is a representation of whom? It goes all the way back to Genesis of Satan, right? Now, why is that so? Why has it happened that way? Any thoughts on that? It just doesn't seem fair. I, like, I don't like that phrase at all, but nonetheless, I, I hear it more you know, anyway. Um, it doesn't seem to coincide with how we often understand the Christian life. Why, why do you feel like it's that way? Why it, is it? Maybe it isn't the, ca- that, the case for you. Yeah, that could be one reason. The test to who? God putting it out there to see what you're going to do, or is God putting it out there for you to understand who you are even more? I'd say more so the latter, because in reality, does God know the future? Okay, so we, if he allows you, and, and James says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. James chapter 1. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and when patience has its perfect work, you will be complete, lacking nothing. Which I'm under the impression that is a lifelong endeavor. Or at least it sure sees that way, feels that way, appears to be that way. So God puts a test, God tests us. And there are examples, particularly in the Old Testament, that uses English translation, using the word test, tries us. But I've always viewed that as it's intended for us to understand a bit more about who we truly are, which we really, we're, I think often it is, we're, I don't know what it is about well, Christians are strange people anyway, but 1 Corinthians covers that, all right? Uh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, right? It just, it's just who we are. Um, but it, it just seems that often that Christians don't really want to wrestle with, and I talked about this on Sunday, okay? So maybe this is, I've been thinking about this a lot. It just seems that Christians don't 
really always want to wrestle with who they are as people. They just want to pray it away and move on. Right? The, the, the snake didn't bite me, in other words. I broke through the wall, but the snake didn't bite me. I saw it, in a, you know, and of course they're bleeding on their arm because they've been bitten, but they don't want to deal with it. Um, the extreme of that, now I'm on a roll, um, but I want to hear from some of you. But the extreme of that is called positive confession, all right? I knew of a man. I didn't know him personally. I never met him. He had some type of stage four cancer, humongous swelling on the right side of his head, his right side. And because of his theology of positive confession, he would not acknowledge the fact that he had stage four cancer because it would be a negative confession. <laughs> That's a new one for you? <laughs> the look on her face like, you've got to be kidding me. Hey, I, you know, and the, the, it was the pastor, John, um, one of his in-laws. And he got wrapped up into this called name it, claim it, right? If you name it and then you claim it, then you get it. Doesn't that sound good? Bill says no, but <laughs> why not, Bill? <laughs> that, that's just number one, okay? <laughs> that goes back to what I said, not many noble, not many mighty, not many what, right? The, and they do. Um, first, of, they misuse it, number one. Number two, you said it as well. They don't have the ability to steward it well. Number three, who does it make... Who does it make out to become God? Self, exactly. And God becomes the genie in the bottle. What's your third wish? Well, get back in the bottle and give me three more. You know? So why, why, does, why is it that you break through a, through a wall? I wasn't planning on going here, but I think this is an interesting discussion. Why is it that when you break through a wall, you get bit by the serpent? You, Cousin Tim says because you're being tested. I would agree with him. Are there any other reasons? That's his job? I didn't quite expect to hear it in that way, but yes, you're right. It is what he does. Because he doesn't give two hoots or a holler about you as long as you're lukewarm. But when you finally make it, if, when you make a decision to take a step f closer to Christ, to be further conformed into his image, let's even maybe let's say put aside a, some type of besetting sin, I don't know. But when you do these things, all of a sudden, now you're on his radar. And it, I would say it isn't really, probably isn't really Satan probably one of his minions because is satan omnipresent no he's not is he the evil equivalent to god no he's not he's a created being not a creator and he's a great imitator and the great twister of truth
Yes, I would agree. I actually would agree with every observation because I it, it sometimes, okay, wisdom is what we're looking at here, is the ability to discern why it's happening. But it is at times for our own personal growth. It is because it's his job. It is because God is putting a test in front of us. Which again, it goes back to James 1, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. So, anything else? I would agree with you completely on that. Yeah, no, I think there, there's, there, again, we're talking about wisdom literature here, so there is more than one way to look at these things. Uh, but I would agree with you, and I would submit just for fun, okay, no, nothing more than just for fun, uh, there's always some type of a spiritual or some God-breathed, and I say that in a, I see, use that term loosely, not scripture-wise, of course, but, but God is going to use these scenarios. You just set out to go dig a hole, and the next day you fall in it. You know, think, you set out to do something positive, and something negative happens, right? Uh, how many people who've been in an automobile accident planned it? For example, right? But then, because, my opinion, uh, anyway, uh, my opinion, <laughs> someone gave me this. But <laughs> that everything in life can be redeemed in some way, shape, or form. Um, and, and I think God using the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, his hand is involved, in, I think, in every intricate detail. Uh, now, where is that place where he lets us go, he allows us to fall into the pit, he allows the snake to bite us, and I'm, I'm not speaking spiritually here, I'm speaking... I'm, I'm, I'm in Brian's context. These things actually happen. And then you, I, I've been hit with a piece of wood from the wood splitter that just went flying off and it hit me in the shin. And it was a good thing none of you were with me when it happened. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, it hurt. Um, but uh, is God behind these things? Is God permitting these things? Is God causing these things? In other words, what, where have you grown? And where are your edges? And, 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 how are you, and your weak points. But you're right. Yeah, and, but, but how often do we need to go back and read and reread? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, 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 I've... I realize I've been doing this more for, I don't know, six, eight months. I don't know. Because I wasn't paying attention to this. There's a lot of, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and just reading it and just enjoying it. I'm not taking notes. I'm not, oh gosh, I got to remember that for Sunday. Who knows, Sunday may not happen, right? But I'm just reading it and I'm, I'm enjoying it in the moment. Now, I may not even 
be able to tell you a week later what it was that I read or why I enjoyed it. Because I'm 65. Anyway, which bothers me. But what I know is that I'm finding that all of a sudden more and more verses are starting to find their place when I need it in my thinking. Uh, because I'm just, you know, uh, just reading it for enjoyment. When I, you know, and I, I, I remember one Saturday I really was behind and I needed to study and I started reading somewhere else and I didn't want to study because I was so interested in whatever, another book that I was reading. I was like, well, I, you know, Sunday is tomorrow, so you better get to work. Anyway, but, it, and it, the thing about tests too, I, it went hard when you were speaking, I thought of my, my oral defense and gosh, I'd love to do it again. Because it was a bit combative, let's just say. Um, I passed, um, but I took on the status quo of the school. So I kind of should have expected it. Um, and boy, I would like to have a second shot at that. But what even happened to me, the, uh, probably the most valuable part of that experience for me was not, not the end result, congratulations, doctor, but it was what I'm now taking and rethinking and relearning and, and it was like, I hate this, well, and I'm, I was pretty confident then in, in the position that I was taking and I'm even more confident now. But I've even done more reading, done more digging, more thinking, more, you know, and, and even, you know, trying to shed some of the, because every argument has its weak points, does it not? They do. Even some of yours, all right? Whether you want to believe that or not. Look at the ceiling, Mike. So, so you have these, and I, I segue, I'm going to go back to Brian, segue out of this little section. Things happen for good intentions, and they don't turn out right. It happens all the time. It happens probably every week. In our this is where the line gets really thin because there are several areas where, in, in both Testaments, but more primarily, I think, in the Old than the New, where the sovereignty of God is declared. And, and yet, did God... I mean, the, one of the answers that I'm think, I've been thinking about this the whole time in this discussion is the book of Job. Not the, not the end, Brian. Uh, <laughs> the beginning of the book of Job, where you have this parade going on in front of Yahweh. And who shows up? Satan shows up. What does God do? He brings up Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan to bring it up. I, was it in Satan's mind? I don't know. Doesn't say. Did God cause all of that to happen to Job? Okay. The permissive will, which I, I, I hang my hat on that as well. Um, but... Could it be prevented it? 
yeah, permission, if we want to use that category, which I think is a, probably a good category to look at. But this, this is difficult, and that's why we study wisdom literature, to try to navigate these things. Do we ever make full sense of them? I have a hard time, and I've only been studying it for a couple of weeks now, but anyway. Um, but this whole idea of God's sovereignty and man's free will, that the Bible declares both. And, and it, it goes back to what I told a woman a long, long time ago. It, doesn't, it isn't like if you find 51 verses that declare God's sovereignty and only 49 verses that declare man's free will, then sovereignty reigns. This isn't a democracy. That's not, we, we, don't, we can't use that kind of thinking in interpreting and understanding the Bible. This is a holy declaration. So is one true but not the other? Or does God change his mind? If he wants. Because in one place he says, I, I, I repent not, I change not. And then it says that God relented. So it, it's, it's, I think part of wisdom is to be able to walk through the unknown and to be at peace about it. Uh-huh. Right. But they don't. Yeah. Right. Right, exactly. I never did the merger, but go ahead. Yeah. It is a mystery. Yeah, it is a mystery. Um, that we probably will know. I don't know. I, sometimes I wonder how much of this... I don't know. Now, I'm really getting out in the thin ice, and it's your fault, Bill. But, but I've used the railroad track illustration quite a bit as well because the rails have to remain the same distance apart or the train derails. I never heard the, it looks like they come together, but you're right, it does. Um, but the, the end result, right, is that one day we will know as we are known. Um, but these things, it is a mystery. And part of, I think that's another part of wisdom is to appreciate the mystery. See, modern, modern, we live in a very adolescent culture, for starters. All right. All right, that's just, I'm not the only one who feels this way. All right, I, I, I read a lot. But anyway, and one of the attributes of an adolescent culture is that they are devoid of wisdom, and they want certainty. And they whine a lot. Well, was, and, yeah, and they complain a lot, too. Yeah, and, and so wisdom cause, I think wis, true wisdom, because what is the beginning of wisdom? Come on, we talk, fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord, all right? Uh, beginning of knowledge, fear of the Lord. To be able to walk in wisdom means to be able to accept those things that are a mystery and to thrive, to, th to try to, th even, even in difficult situations. Um, and so you set out to do something well, right, Brian? It falls apart on you. So with that, 
he's now using this illustration. And it says, if the axe is dull, verse 10, we're actually moving on, okay? If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen his edge, then he must exert more strength. What I do is I just hand the axe to somebody else who's bigger and stronger. Work harder, not smarter. <laughs> That's why he became a, a master chief. So, yeah, you, in other words, if, if your axe, what could your axe represent? I'm spiritualizing. You, you know, of course, you got that, right? Okay, it, he's, using an, he's talking about an axe, and it's a very common sense saying, is it not? Sharpen the thing, and it's going to work better. You won't have to work as hard. This was before the days of Still and Husqvarna, all right? You had to actually chop the thing down. What, but what could the axe represent? Your will? The dividing. The divide. Hebrews. Yes. Um, gosh, it's, it's there somewhere. I think it's Hebrews 4, um, where... The word of God is sharper than to any two-edged sword. Okay, I'm, I'm taking some latitude here. But, um, and divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So, he's using a very physical thing and he makes perfect common sense physically. But I think it also... Um, beckons us to something beyond it. And, and so, so wisdom has the advantage of bringing success. He goes back to that again, which he has done it a few times. Does wisdom have the advantage of bringing success? What is success? Surprised somebody hasn't asked that one already. What it, well, how do we define success? Positive outcome. Yeah? I think so. You're chewing so the process, which is kind of what Bill was talking about as well. Yes, I, th I think it is. But I think, so I'm going to go macro. So I'm getting big picture as opposed to even within the context of one culture. Because, for instance, I hear what you're saying, Cindy, and I would agree with you, but Western culture, when you mentioned China, Western culture has really taken on much of the world. Not all of it, but much of the world. One of the areas that's very resistant to Western culture is Russia and most countries in the Middle East. Yeah. I think that's it, and if anything, that's what I've been trying to drive on Wednesday night and to a lesser degree on Sunday, is that we have been called to a different worldview. If we've been called to a different worldview, chances are our definition of success, and while I think you all gave good definitions, uh, and those definitions are not only good, but they're useful in your Christian life, but they 
you bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Which Brian is starting to think about now. He's got that look on his face. But uh, in other words, your Christian perspective, your Christian worldview, the understanding of the kingdom of God has to influence and temper and affect all of that. Does that make sense? He's staying quiet. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, so if the serpent bites before charmed, verse 11, there is no benefit for the charmer. I thought that was interesting. Um, words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. So now we're having this discussion. Okay, the snake, the snake bit the guy when he broke through the wall. So we're going back to the snake. But we're comparing it to what? Yet the fool multiplies words, verse 14. What's he comparing the snake to here? Okay, the, if the snake bites before it is charmed, in other words, I think one of the translations says before it is tamed. Of course, you can't tame a snake. They don't even have the mental capacity. They don't have the brain power for it. They're very stupid animals. I don't know why anybody would want to keep one as a pet. But anyway. Um, I'm looking in the New King James. Uh, yeah, it uses the word charmed as well. Um, what is he comparing the, the snake to? There is no benefit for the charmer. Words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious. Why? Because the tongue has in some respects been bridled. Now, in other words, I think what he's saying here is this, he's comparing the snake to the tongue. We're, we, Jeff and I were talking earlier tonight. Um, he's telling me about conversation. I said, you know what? Some, some comments are not even worth responding to. They're, they're just not. But you have this connection here between a snake that is not charmed compared to a snake that is charmed, the wise person, and a snake that is not charmed, the lips of the fool consume him. Just like the snake that is not charmed will bite the snake charmer. That's what he's saying here. So there's a, this connection here. And what's interesting is that Jesus kind of, he ties this in to some degree. Matthew 12, verse 34. He says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, is, and Mary told you guys last week that I was, I, 
I, I taught a part of a session and we, 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 we talked about silence. And here I am talking to pastors who do what? Speak for a living. Okay. Um, out of the abundance of the mouth, of the heart, what does that mean? What's the heart? I thought of you, Ken. When, when uh, you know, body, basically you, you, you encompass the heart as the entirety of the person, right? Which makes sense. But out of the abundance of who we are, the mouth speaks. And that's, to me, that's in, like incredibly true. Because all you got to do is let someone talk for a while. You'll figure out what kind of person they are. Right? You know, I, I mentioned this before. You know the old saying, better to keep your mouth shut and be thoughtful than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? Of course, that's not the case for everybody, but it was, it was a military thing. Um, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Je Jesus talks about that in Matthew 12, but he also talks about that in Matthew 6. And... Proverbs, it says here in, in verse 14 of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 10, yet the fool multiplies his words. Proverbs 10 says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Now, again, this is, always hard to teach on because I'm always afraid that after we look at this, and we only have a few minutes left, but I'm always afraid that after we look at this, we're going to, we're going to come in here and sit in silence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and yet the multitude of words. Now, the New Testament is going to um, counter that differently. If we have time, we'll get there, all right? But the comparison, Proverbs 15. So that's why, as we've been going through this, I'm encouraging you guys to keep reading the Proverbs. The tongue of the wise, Proverbs 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. What does that mean? The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. He or she is able to correctly, rightly speak knowledge. Speak knowing about the situation. Have a sense of knowledge as they are speaking. Which is a very different than, I've told you, I've told you this a million times, and we joke about it all the time. The Bible study that we went to when we were first here, and the guy said, where did we leave off last week? Well, all he did was shoot from the hip without any real knowledge. Um, Ecclesiastes 5, we looked at this earlier. Um, a fool's voice is known by his many words. <laughs> Probably going to end up closing in silence and then all walking out tonight. But uh, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. 
for they think they will be heard for their many words. What's wrong with vain repetition? What's wrong with saying the same phrase over and over? Is there something wrong with saying the same phrase over and over? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever said the same phrase over and over? One of the most simple prayers is, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which I know guys who pray that every day. And sometimes more than once in succession. And they are not doing it in a form of vain repetition, but they are doing it as an act of not only worship, but when you consider each and every word in that phrase, there's, it's, there, it's, it, there's so much to it. Vain repetition is trusting in the ritual. There was a church in Northern California. I told you this, some of this story. One of the worship leaders, a huge church, huge church. One of the worship leaders, their, their little daughter died. I told you the story before, right? And they went into this. They, they were convinced that God was going to raise this girl from the dead. Uh, there's a lot of logistical problems with that. One, her body was in a cooler in the morgue. Um, but, and they, they would do these worship songs in the over and over and over. And, and, I, and, and, and I don't know, but it, it appeared, because I watched some of it on YouTube, right? But it appeared like it became this form of vain repetition. Which reminds me a lot of the story in 1 Kings, I think it's 19, with Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal which they were all about vain repetition. If I do this ritual long enough, God will answer. Now, I hope some of those in your life, those loved ones in your life that you are not real comfortable with their relationship with God, whether they're saved or not, I hope you pray for them every night, every day, whatever. I hope you pray for them. And that's not vain repetition. But that's continuing to bring these things before God. So it, again, wisdom helps us distinguish the difference. And I've got a ton more, but maybe we'll start with that next week. Of course, I have a hard time. Bill, you want a final word tonight, looks like. What's up? Right? Mm-hmm. Along with faith. Yeah, it's a proper exercise. And, of course, you could say knowledge encompasses all that. You could say that as well. But it is. It's the proper exercise of knowledge, which, you know what the real problem with that is? We don't know what we don't know. And therefore, we need wisdom to navigate because there are times that we really don't know that we don't know. You know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Or we just set aside and decide I I I I can I can move forward without the answer. 
was what you were talking about earlier. Um, you don't always know, even though you got the checklist, right? This is why it happened, this is how it happened. And so wisdom is elusive, isn't it? Just like humility, which I talked about on Sunday. You know, my book's coming out, Humility and How I Obtained It, right? Uh, the sequel, Wisdom and How I Got There, right? But it's, they're elusive. And I think just when we, just when we think we start to have those virtues, not that we ought to be careful, but that we, we just ought to be, not that we, we it, let me back up. Just when we start to think we have those virtues, particularly humility and particularly wisdom, it doesn't mean we don't have them, but, but it, it means, yes, we need to be careful in how we steward them. Because it is also easy to mismanage, missteward the gifts that we've been given. Of course, none of us have ever done that, right? Of course not. 